Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. I think we've all had times and places in our life where we've longed for a miracle, for God's power to break through and do what can't normally happen in our own lives, on our own earth. Remember uh, when I first met my one mentor, a seminary professor, and he told the story of when he was late teens, a farmer and had this horrible hay wagon accident. Uh, wasn't going to be able to walk again. He tells the story of these nice little old ladies from this small church coming to the hospital and praying over him. And he was miraculously healed. And and two things came out of that healing, beyond the physical healing. Uh, One, uh, he came to be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And it also was his call to ministry, uh, having no clue what it means to be in church or to be a pastor, going off to a Bible college to learn all those kind of things. And as I got to know him and journey through life, at that phase, he had just been diagnosed with chronic fatigue. And just his energy was gone, struggling to do the normal stuff. And he, and he traveled that journey for a while. But I was there at church that time whenever everybody was praying. It was, and once again, he was miraculously healed. Chronic fatigue just gone, like in the rearview mirror, just like that. Some years passed by. Uh, he was up on a high ladder uh, doing things a man of his size should not be doing. And he fell. An ankle just shattered, just shattered. And I remember he'd come to visit us in Florida, and, and I did pin care. And if you ever want to, you know, really bond with your mentor, uh, it's getting down and doing pin care and wrapping their ankle in that halo so they can, they can get into your shower. Uh, and I remember praying, and so many people praying for healing, but that never happened. And ongoing struggles for the years to come where infection would come in certain ministries in certain countries, environments, he couldn't do anymore just for risk of infection setting into his ankle. And I remember more years passed by, and his wife just started having these physical complications. And they were going to every specialist that they could, and they could never get a diagnosis. And I remember her being surrounded by such a huge like, cloud of faith, like witnesses that were just praying like crazy for her. And if God was going to break through and do the miraculous, well, wasn't it going to be in her life? But that didn't happen, and she passed away, and they didn't have a diagnosis until the other side, after an autopsy. And have you ever just really struggled with that longing for a miracle and and realizing that sometimes God comes through and does the miraculous, his power breaks through. And other times, for reasons that we can't fully understand, he chooses to withhold his power. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been longing for that miraculous? Uh, Maybe it was a physical problem and you were just praying for God to break through. Maybe it was a relational problem. Uh, You were served those divorce papers, and all of a sudden, like, you're praying like crazy for a miracle to happen to restore your marriage, or there's a broken relationship between you and your parents or a sibling or kids or friends, and you're just praying like crazy that God would come through and do the miraculous. 
Maybe it was a financial crisis. You lost your job or, you know, you were just hit with something you never saw coming. And you're just praying like crazy that God would come through and do the miraculous. See, I, I believe that God loves to break through and do the miraculous. And I think he's often doing the miraculous. We just don't always see it. We don't always recognize it because God is often doing something that we can't even begin to understand or comprehend. Something even greater, something even bigger than what we might hope for. I want us to wrap up our series on the journey to Easter and some things that we learn along the way as we journey with the disciples and with Jesus to Easter. I want us to look at this greatest miracle of all. Because Jesus closes followers, his inner circle, his friends, they didn't see the miracle that God was doing in their very midst. And maybe you're like me, you think, man, faith would be so much easier if I had an opportunity just to walk with Jesus, if I could have spent those three years with Jesus, seeing him do the miraculous, uh, if I could have heard him teach, man, faith would be just so much easier. But as we dive into the story of the disciples on the journey to Easter, we realize that that isn't really true. So a couple of things that we learn in the journey to Easter, for a, for a miracle to take place, for the miraculous to happen, one of the things that we need to ha- have going on in our life is just a really, really bad situation. We need to have a big problem. We need to have a mess. And here's the reality. You know, we all want a miracle, but none of us want the mess, right? But you know, if it's all good, if you're blessed all the time, God is always good, you know what I mean? You don't need a miracle in your life. But boy, when a problem comes your way, when a mess comes your way, that that is ripe for God to break through and do the miraculous. That's when we're begging God to break through and do what only he can do. There's plenty of room for a miracle. Well, let's look at the big problem, a bit of the mess that was happening in Jesus' life and the disciples' life is on the journey to Easter. In Luke 22, we're going to be traveling through Luke a little bit today. Uh, Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples. And he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. Uh, They were delighted and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so that they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Just not like a distant colleague, but have you ever been betrayed by somebody so close to you? Somebody, man, you could have just never saw it coming. Man, they stabbed you in the back, they betrayed you. If you've been there, done that, you understand the pain. You understand the turmoil. Uh, You get like the sleepless nights. How could of they? The hurt, the anguish, the pain. And Judas isn't like just some like distant follower. Judas is part of the 12. He has been doing life with Jesus, life and ministry with Jesus for three years. And that's where you and I are tempted to think, if we would have done three years with Jesus, you know, we, faith would be so much easier, but we see that it's not. You could be one of the closest followers of Jesus, man. Your time with God, 
is so rich, is so deep. Your quiet time, your prayer life, your reading, your journaling, man, you get away on retreats. But temptation is always near. No matter how close, you can be as close as Judas uh, doing life and ministry intimately with Jesus for three years. And there's always a temptation to turn from Jesus. Now, here's my question for you. Maybe you've never thought about this before, but here's my question before for you. Did Jesus and the disciples and the followers trust Judas? Have you ever thought, that, did they trust him? As a matter of fact, would anybody even try uh, to make a case uh, for why he might have been one of the most trusted disciples? Anybody want to yell anything out? Any thoughts? He kept the money. Yeah. You have people keep the money who you trust. When I can tell you from my perspective, when we're looking for somebody for a treasurer or part of the financial team, it has to be someone that you trust. I remember at church board when we were talking about uh, needing a new financial secretary and who might be a good person, and we put forth a name. And the way I said it was like this. I said, I would trust this individual with my deepest, darkest secrets. And they all looked at me like, are you going to trust us with your deepest, darkest secrets, Doug? But I'm like, you know, you need somebody at that level uh, to keep the money, to keep track of the finances that you fully trust. And they so trusted Judas that he was the man. He collected, he distributed the money. He was their treasure. And for Jesus and his disciples, man, this is just the beginning of this bad problem. This is just beginning of the mess that they are going into, the mess that makes it so ripe for a miracle. The bad situation gets even worse. Jesus is betrayed and then he's arrested. And we continue on in verse 53. Jesus, when he's being arrested, says to them, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day, broad daylight. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. Jesus is no longer doing the leading. He is being led by people and to people who want absolutely nothing good for him. And things are going from bad to worse. And from an outsider's perspective, an outsider's perspective, everything's going wrong. This wasn't the plan. This isn't what the disciples of Jesus wanted. This isn't what the followers of Jesus wanted. This is not the way things were supposed to go. Everything's going the wrong way in Jesus' life from an outsider perspective, from the disciples' perspective. They can't see what God is doing. So much like you and I, when it just feels like everything's going the wrong direction in our lives. We don't see, we don't understand, we can't comprehend what God is doing in the darkness. What God is doing in those sleepless nights. And the disciples, man, they're not holding out any hope they're not living with any kind or level of confidence. Peter, who is 
one of the 12, but beyond that, he's part of that intimate circle of three. He follows Jesus when he's been arrested. He follows him at a distance. He stays within eyesight of Jesus. And there's initial bonus points to, to Peter for that, right? He didn't abandon. He didn't go and cower in fear and hide right away. But he's also not out there organizing a march to have Jesus released, is he? And this dark night of the soul gets even worse. The mess gets even messier. Because Peter denies Jesus. At that moment, the Lord turned. Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. That's exactly what Peter did. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. And we read this and we can feel and we can understand, we can get Peter's pain. Jesus, I failed you. I so messed up. I, I deny that I even knew you. Just what you said would happen, happened. I gave into fear. I, I lost all hope. I lost my confidence in who I thought Jesus really was. You got to think from Jesus' perspective how this felt to feel so alone, betrayed again by one of your closest, most intimate friends and followers. And you and I know, because we know the ending, that all of this mess, all of this problem is leading up to the greatest miracle in history. But that's because hindsight is 2020. Because if you were in the middle of this mess, you didn't see anything good coming out of it. You didn't see anything going the right direction. All you saw was pain, hurt, despair, darkness, fear, utter confusion. Bad gets even worse. Verse 63. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us. Who hit you that time? Ridiculed, mocked, tortured. Can you just feel the darkness pushing out the light? Then we go to Luke chapter 23, because we've not reached rock bottom yet. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified. And their voices, man, the mob's voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die just as they demanded. I mean, this is leading up to horrific Friday. We have history on our side, so we now call it Good Friday. But man, for everybody that was a part of this, this is horrific, the worst day of their lives. Do you understand that? From a human perspective, it was the worst day of their lives. But from God's perspective, it was the beginning of his greatest work. 
followers of Jesus couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it. Jesus is executed. An innocent man is murdered for crimes and for sins that he did not commit. If you're a disciple in this moment, it's that loss of a loved one. It's that loss of hope and confidence because, man, you were beginning to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. Beyond that, man, now there's like this economic disaster. You've left your career, you've left your jobs to follow Jesus. And now you're thinking there's going to be all this like ridicule and all this mocking, all your friends who thought you were crazy to leave your job to go follow this Jesus guy. Man, they're just going to say, I I was right. You were crazy to do this. The dreams that they had. I mean, it wasn't that many days prior that the disciples were arguing about who was going to be like chief of staff, who was going to be like communications director, who was going to get sit to sit where whenever Jesus comes into power. And you have to think this. They're wondering, am I next? Am I a wanted man? Is there like, you know, like a a target on me? Am I next on the list to be arrested and tried and executed? Hopeless and hiding. And in the requirements for a miracle to happen, When it comes to a bad situation, when it comes to a big mess, the disciples and the followers of Jesus, man, they have that by boatloads. But it takes more than just a big problem or a big mess for a miracle to happen. And the journey to Easter, the other thing that we realize is that you need faith. You you need faith. And how much faith do you need? Just a tiny amount some of the most hurtful words that a Jesus follower can say to another Jesus follower are these. If you just had more faith. First of all, that is so theologically inaccurate. But it puts it all on that person. If only you had more faith, then God would have. It makes it all about you and not about an all-powerful God, for a miracle to happen, you need the tiniest amount of faith. And Jesus teaches again and again about the amount of faith that we need for God to break through and do the powerful, to do the miraculous. And there's a describer that Jesus uses again and again. There's a word, there's a term. What is that describer that Jesus uses again and again to describe the amount of faith that we need? Just a little mustard seed. Just a little mustard seed. Jesus teaches it like this multiple times, but here it is in Luke 17. The apostle said to the Lord, could you please show us how to increase our faith? And this is how Jesus answers. How how do you want to increase your faith? If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, May you be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And Jesus uses that term over and over again. 
Manna mustard seed, for them, it's the smallest seed that they knew of. Everybody knew what Jesus was talking about, about a mustard seed. Just a tiny little speck. But it grows into this thriving plant in the harshest of conditions where other plants can't, can, can't survive. 10 to 20 foot high and wide. Becomes a shelter from the sun for other animals and other creatures. And Jesus says that's the amount of faith that you need mustard seed faith so another question for you on the journey to easter as you travel with the disciples and the followers of jesus do do you find big faith or do you find tiny faith what do you find in the journey to easter in other words, do you, do you see anybody? This is how I love to say it. Do you, see, do you find anybody on that Sunday morning right as dust is about to turn to dawn? Is there like a group of followers of Jesus out there and they're like counting down 10, 9, 8? You don't see that. You don't find that kind of faith. That's not the level of confidence that they have. Go back to Luke, Luke 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And let's just pause there. The spices, in a few verses earlier, we learn about the oil that they've prepared. What are those spices and oil for on Sunday morning? Let's make sure we understand that. What's that for? To prepare a dead body. Not a freshly resurrected body, a body that is dead, that will stay dead, that will continue to decompose. That's the level of faith that they had. Jesus was dead and he was supposed to stay dead. Their hope was that somebody would be kind enough to roll the stone away so that they could have access to the body. But they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus as they stood there puzzled, right? Not like, oh, yes! There's no body. What Jesus said was going to happen has actually happened. There's no celebration here, right? It's like what on earth has happened? What is going on? How much faith do they have? Headed to the tomb to prepare a body that's already been dead and decomposing, finding an empty tomb, and they're puzzled. So two angels appear and, and they clue them in that Jesus has risen from the dead. And remember what Jesus has told you. So they go back. They go back to the disciples to tell them all that had happened. And we read that encounter. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. But the story, that story about the tomb being empty, the story about the two angels and what the angels said, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe. How much faith? They're hearing the story, eyewitnesses that saw an empty tomb, eyewitnesses who encountered two angels. How much faith? Huge faith. They don't even believe trusted followers of Jesus talking about their encounter with two angels and they simply can't believe. But we have hope, right? 
Next, next verse, we have some hope. However, Peter, however, Peter, come on, Peter's the man, right? Peter's like walk on water faith, Peter. Peter's like drawing his sword, ready to take out a far superior trained military force when they come to arrest Jesus. Peter, the man of faith. We're like, all right, Peter, you go. Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look because obviously he connected the dots. Obviously, Peter believed. Obviously, Peter remembered everything that Jesus had said would happen. And then in verse 12, we continue. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again. That's anticlimactic, right? Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. We really wish that Peter was like, man, Jesus is alive. Uh, just what he said has hap- would happen has happened. Man, we have to go celebrate that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty. And instead we get Dude, I have no clue what is going on. And a little later, two of Jesus' followers who encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus and had conversations with Jesus, they go back once again to report what had happened. And the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself, right? Jesus himself, finally, it's no longer other people telling the story. Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. And Jesus' initial words to the entire group, peace be with you. And you know what the next verses say, right? Because the next verses are like, and like the disciples rejoiced and were praising God and they were filled with joy and renewed confidence and hope. And they're like, Jesus, like you're the man. That's the level of faith the disciples had. We know that. You don't even need to read it. And be discouraged. (laughs) But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus, like, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? What is going on in your life that you need to hold on to just the tiniest bit of faith? What is going in such the wrong direction? What is causing you hurt and pain? What what is causing you anxiety and sleepless nights? What is causing you to doubt and to fear that you need to hold on just the smallest bit of faith, that God can break through and do the miraculous. That you might not be seeing and understanding what God is doing, but trusting and knowing that God might be doing one of his greatest works in your life. What's causing you to just want to give up, to just walk away? 
You just need to hold on to that mustard-sized faith. See, our last requirement for a miracle is a really big God. A really big God. That's key to God breaking through. That's key to anything miraculous happening in your life or in my life. And I truly believe that not one person listening to my voice needs more faith. What you and I need is more obedience to what God has called us to do and who has he called us to be and what he has asked us to believe. And if we can just hold on to that mustard-sized faith and obediently follow and walk with Jesus... We can have confidence that he's going to break through. He's going to do the miraculous. It's not always going to look the way that I want it to look. It's not always going to look the way that you want it to look. I mean, this is not what the disciples wanted. They did not want Jesus arrested. They did not want him tortured. They did not want him murdered. They were looking for an earthly king, a change of power. But God was doing something so much bigger, something so much better, something so much greater than even his closest followers could begin to understand or see when it was happening in their very midst. A few lessons from an empty tomb. Nothing. Nothing is too messed up for God. You have no problem that is too big for God, too complicated, too complex for him to break through. God's usually at work long before we even notice. It's often in retrospective, man, after all that hardness, all after all those dark nights, now that I'm on the other side, now I can see what God was doing. God was doing something in me. God was doing something in you. And he might not have simply been fixing the problem the way that you wanted him to, but he was taking you to a level of intimacy and depth and maturity that couldn't have happened any other way. And God shows up even when we doubt. Even when we have that same level of faith that the disciples and closest followers had on the journey to Easter. Just that tiny bit of faith. And here's the hard truth, and this is so much easier to say than it is to live. God's solutions are often far different than what we expected. But God is still God. He is still all-powerful. And sometimes he breaks through and he uses his power in just the way that we want it. And sometimes he withholds his power and doesn't do just what we were praying and begging him to do. But all the time he is doing something so much greater and something so much bigger than we can even begin to understand or imagine. If you want to respond to today's message on your connection card or in your bulletin, simply reads like this. This is the truth. Many of us have struggled with the longing for a miracle in our lives. In the messes of my life, I, I want to hold on to faith that God can do the miraculous. And I also understand that God's solutions are often far different than what I expect. That is easier to say than it is to live. But may God give you the strength. Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you as faithful Jesus followers. Sometimes our faith is just that minuscule mustard seed amount, but it is still our faith and our belief and our confidence in you. So we just bring before you our problems, our, our messes, and we trust them with you. We simply place them at the foot of the cross. And in the same way that you did the greatest miracle of resurrecting your son, Jesus Christ, after he paid the penalty for our sins, that you are doing a work in our lives, that you're taking those hard, difficult situations, and you're still at work, even if it doesn't always look the way that we want it to, you are still at work because you are God. You are all-powerful. You're mighty. You are worthy of our praise, our love, our adoration, our worship. We simply give ourselves to you. In these moments of the living sacrifice, we give ourselves to you. Have your way. Have your way in our lives. May your will be done as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.